and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 62, where today I have Jasmine Byrne, who is the president of Big Mountain Foods, along for the show. Now, founded in 1987 by Kimberly Chamberlain, who is actually Jasmine's mum, Big Mountain Foods is a Vancouver-based company uh, that provide naturally vegan products free from many of the common allergens such as gluten, soy, and nuts. Now, their mission is to make food that they would proudly serve to their own family. In other words, food that tastes really good. And I can actually stand behind that as well. And I said it at the start of the show to Jasmine, and it's the honest truth. Every day for breakfast, I fry out my wife some breakfast bites to go with her eggs and toast. So yeah, I'm serious. The food is delicious. And I was so excited to have a conversation with Jasmine today. Now on today's episode, we really did have a good chat about the growing machine that is Big Mountain Foods. Among many of the topics, we discussed their approach to product innovation and a couple of their new SKUs that are coming online soon, which is going to be cool. Uh, Their production, securing supply of raw ingredients and marketing and sales. So it was a really good one. And there's a lot to learn in here, especially if you are a business that is in the process of scaling. This is a really inspirational story, so a lot to um, a lot to look forward to. Before we do kick off into the show, though, just a quick mention of our show sponsor for today, which is Foodback. I talk about Foodpack quite a lot on the podcast, so a lot of you are familiar with the services and the products that we sell. But for the first-time listeners out there, there are some things that I'd like to highlight for you. So the first of which is that we've been in business for 50 years, so it's fair to say that we've got the experience and the capability within our four walls to ensure that you end up with the right flexible package for your business. The other key thing to remember is that we've evolved a lot over those 50 years as well. So over the last two years particularly, uh, we've absolutely kept our finger on the pulse and we are completely up to date on where the market is at with all of the tech technology and all of the sustainability requirements that you are looking for for your business. Now there are three specific areas that we execute on really well at Foodpack. The first of which is our stock bag and film program which you could think of as a turnkey solution for your business. So you can get your food based product straight into the pouch and out onto the retail shelf which is awesome. The other is our custom printed bags, which is actually my favorite part of the business and what I think I do best. I love speaking with my clients about their bags and their artwork and ensuring that we get a really high quality, beautiful pouch into their hands and out onto their uh, retail shelf and into their consumers' hands as well. Uh, The other part of the business, which is critical for your business, is our equipment. So think about Cipramac vacuum chamber machines, plex pack band sealers, and repack tray sealers and thermoformers. Obviously, with the tray sealers, we sell the trays that coincide with it, and the lidding film and the thermoforming film that goes along with the thermoformers. So if you're looking to get into the market for the first time or would like me to assess your existing packaging program and equipment options, I recommend that you get in touch with me directly by emailing me at hayden at foodpack.ca or by calling me on 604-360-6790. Jasmine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on today. Yeah, no worries at all. It's a pleasure having you on. We, uh, I wanted to just start off the episode by saying that my wife and I are big fans of Big Mountain Foods, and we have been eating your breakfast bites in our household for quite some time now and really love them. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank yeah. You. 
Yeah, no worries. We, uh, when they're out of stock in the save on that we shop at as well, we get the mushroom bites, but we also really like the veggie patties. They're awesome for anyone out there that hasn't tried them. I recommend them. They're awesome. Nice. That's awesome to hear. You know, our veggie patties, we've been, um, going through a lot of marketing Mm -hmm. discussions around the veggie patty, especially now that beyond meat and all these, Mm -hmm. um, meat like products have come out and does, is our veggie patty too old fashioned? Is it, uh, too much of a niche product being like vegetable forward? Mm -hmm. And should we pivot to this like meat like product, but we're still staying true to our roots and going to keep veggie forward and yeah. Not try to simulate meat. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear because, yeah, you could either move in one or two directions. And uh, we do eat meat in our household. I mean, we try and eat a couple of meals a week where, you know, it is plant-based. And it's a really easy swap out. Like there's no dramas in your house. The kids love the food and, you know, my wife does as well. But something like those veggie patties, we just find them so approachable. They go on a bun, you know, with all of the toppings really easily. And, um, yeah, no, big fans. We love it. Great. Yeah. So Big Mountain Foods, you must have grown up in the business because it's been around since 87 and it was started by your mom, Kimberly. Yes, that is right. Um, Speaking of the veggie patty, that's actually what Big Mountain Foods was known for since the 80s. Right. So Kim, um, she actually, to our knowledge, brought the first veggie patty to market in BC. Yep. Back in the 80s at a at Kits Point Cafe was the name of her cafe. Okay. And um, and then a Sobeys or Safeway buyer came in and said she should start packaging it and kind of mentored her on how to sell in retailers. Yeah. But um, I joined Big Mountain seven years ago now, and that still, since the 80s, was the only product that Big Mountain Food made was right. the And then um, we decided to expand and grow the product line and then also at the same time become allergen free because at yep. one time the veggie patty did have um wheat gluten in it mm-hmm. so that's kind of what put us on the map was that veggie patty mm. right so that's where it all started i didn't realize that it all started with a cafe as well yes and um and then we had a few little like commissary kitchen type um yep areas and I actually would work the patty machine as soon as I could work and package <laughs> we'd hand pack yeah. and then each pack would have to go in like a cryvac machine you have yep. to wait for it to seal yep. Yep. all day and it would feel like I was there like 12 hours packaging patties <laughs> how old were you when you started uh probably 14 yeah that's awesome and it was, and then all my friends started working for Big Mountain yep. um, to, you know, save up for our first cars and stuff. So yep. it was, it was really fun, but um, a lot, of, a lot of work. It definitely taught me um, strong work ethic, yeah. manually packing and manually forming patties and stuff yep. that many hours a day. That, that, and that is such a priceless foundation to build upon as well. Um, I grew up in my parents' business and I started working at the age of 12 in the dish pit, washing dishes. And I worked my way up onto the grill and started serving out the front as well. And, you know, that experience, you know, not only working with people, but having a level of responsibility to bear on your shoulders at such young age, I just, yeah, priceless. Like, I don't know if it's, um, if you can compare it to anything else, especially in the hospitality industry. Oh, for sure. It, it, you hit it on the head with the priceless. Yeah it's, it builds such a strong character, I think for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so you grew up in Vancouver as well, born and yeah, raised. 
Yeah. Yeah. Lovely spot to grow up. And I see you've also got a history or a working history in HR, and you've also got a bit of a marketing background as well. So is that sort of the vision that you had? Well, um, my mom, my mom didn't, um, she didn't get as lucky to do a formal education. She had to start working really, really young. Right. Um, she actually started her own business at like 15 and it's different times. So she really instilled in us that she wanted us to go to college, get a degree. And, um, I, when I started college, I didn't even think about business. I was actually quite shy and introverted. And I, um, started down the career path of getting into social work because Mm -hmm. I was really drawn to helping people, that sort of thing. And then um, my mom just sat me down one day and said, are you sure you want to get into social work? Like there's all this burnout and why don't you get a business degree and, you know, make a really good income and then just Mm -hmm. give back as opposed to, you know, doing your every day in social work. So then I pivoted into a business degree and I'm so thankful that she pushed me because that too it gave such a strong fundamental to get like the lay of the land mm-hmm. um and then from from the degree i started working with my mom right away actually i started working at gfs first yep. and she poached me to to start helping her um and then she matched my salary at gfs and then just learning i'd almost like started out as her assistant um because she's not super tech savvy So I would help like answer her emails and then it grew into like learning how to order and manage inventory and then um, setting up job descriptions and and then um, interviewing people and then started going to trade shows with her and started to learn social media. So then I kind of got this like really well-rounded mentorship on um, run a small business from start to finish. So it was really cool to be able, like I literally for the first two years worked side by side with her like every day. So I'd answer all her emails, learn her connections. We travel together everywhere. So it was really cool. Um, if, if you can get in with an executive right after your degree, I highly recommend it. Oh yeah. You learn more throughout that period than you ever would throughout your degree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I found the same thing. I uh, I studied entrepreneurship and innovation at university, loved it. But you only really start to learn when you put all everything you know from the books into practice. You make mistakes, and then you come out on the other side of it so much stronger. And you go, "What did I actually learn at uni?" And here I am, thirty thousand dollars in debt, and I'm wondering if I even needed it. You know? <laughs> yeah, especially because universities now. Oh, it's probably going to be worse with COVID, but for sure with the online learning. Yeah. I feel, especially in business, you, mm-hmm. you have to be, you have to get extroverted. You have to yeah. do class presentations. You got to go into businesses and learn. Yeah. So I worry about um, this new age of learning online mm-hmm. and how it prepares you for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I agree. That's my opinion. <laughs> so when you were saddled up next to your mom and you were out on the road, what percentage of what you learned was the sales process and actually getting out and selling? Well, a lot of it at yeah. first was sales because uh, yeah. that's really all we could focus on. Mm-hmm. It was like um, how to put together a PowerPoint presentation. And then um, Kim, she's amazing. She won't stop. She is sales galore. That's her number one thing. And she yep. will hunt the right person down and stalk them until they get on the phone with her or set up a meeting with her. 
So I kind of learned her and I'm the, actually the opposite of that. I will wait for someone to call me back. But so she, she taught me how to be aggressive and the whole sales strategy side. So we'd go to trade shows and walk, and it was literally through networking, yeah. like walk a trade show, say who, look at their badge, see who they are, start talking. Like you never know who you're going to meet. Yeah. So that was, that was like the, that was the core start of the business for the first couple of years. Um, as we scaled up was just mm. sales, sales, sales. And then we pitch like save on foods, for instance, took us, uh, gave us a retail presentation. They didn't even try our products. We brought in, like we made all these cool sliders and they didn't even try it. But the story that my mom and I had sitting there in the room saying we're mother, daughter, we're yeah. expanding this plant-based company. They, they took us right away. And, and we noticed people weren't saying no. Yeah. So it was just giving us all the fuel to keep growing. Yeah. It was really cool. It was like this momentum. Cause it honestly, when her and I started this journey, everyone around us thought we were crazy, especially yeah. when I left a really good corporate job with benefits to start with, with yeah. my mom and there was no benefits, low salary, you know, just the startup vibe. Everyone was like, you're going to scale a veggie burger company. You guys are crazy. Yeah. 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 And we used sort of like really crystal on what your vision was and like, you just had it in your eye and you knew exactly what you were aiming for. Like, is that how it felt to you? Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. We could feel it um so like you could see it you could see it all and and um just knowing that there was so much opportunity mm. at that time there was like nothing allergen free yeah. that was plant-based so there's yeah. just so much opportunity and we started to get these little hints that plant-based was going to take off like mm -hmm. feel the momentum growing with online food bloggers and stuff yeah. so yeah i have um i was all about expanding and growing and um it was crazy like we actually at at one time didn't even have employees and it was kim and i we'd use all the mixers grinders packaging lines and then mm -hmm. the next day we'd be going to expo west in anaheim so it was like hustling. trying to do everything yeah hustling, but um it, it hard work pays off. That's all I can say. Yeah, I can imagine. So you started with the veggie patty and it's all sort of grown from there. And one reason that I really wanted to talk to you is because of the innovation that I've seen in your business as well through the introduction of new SKUs. Now, do you know Aaron Chin from Organica? Are you familiar with Aaron? No, but I know Organica. Very yeah, well. yeah, yeah. So I had Aaron on the show because one thing that I'm really impressed about Organica is their innovation within the company and the success that they've seen from them. And I wanted to ask some similar questions um, to you because I wanted to sort of really sort of dig into your approach, whether it was through, you know, market testing and validation and, you know, getting instantaneous feedback from your customers at demos potentially, and how it is that you sort of made decisions around the potential SKUs that you wanted to invest more time in to eventually get out into the world. You know what, um, you hit it on the head there with the um, demos. Yeah. That's how we um, started to get feedback. Mm -hmm. We highly believe in demos for any company starting out best investment. And then also make sure to try to do as many yourself yeah. uh, hire in the demo companies because they won't sell it like how you will. Mm -hmm. But um, when we invented the Collie Crumble, mm -hmm. you know, we had it with walnuts and then we started doing demos and all the, at Whole Foods and uh, the feedback was amazing. Like all walks of life 
wanted to try it. Yep. But we noticed that the the moms would say, oh, I can't bring it to school because it, it's um, an allergen. Mm-hmm. So then that was the aha moment to just try to please everyone and go completely allergen free. Yeah. So that's where, like, that's our core values now is we don't, we're obviously vegans, so no dairy, and then also allergen free, and then as clean label as we can. So that kind of helped narrow the scope. Mm. And then we always want to be um, at least 60% vegetables. Okay. Yeah. So that, that really helped with the demos and feedback for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's been such a common theme on this podcast as well. It's, it's, that's been really critical for a lot of businesses. You know, um, it's been a common story that um, during the early and startup phases, farmers markets and attending farmers markets and getting that sort of, you know, person to person feedback, you know, people are tasting it and they're giving you it straight from the horse's mouth is just so critical. And I can imagine that would be at a demo, but how did you find obviously with demos shut down throughout the early COVID period as well? How was it throughout that, that sort of period of time to deal with? Oh, well, it was very challenging at first because we actually got our first major listing, um, again, from um, attending Expo West, which I highly recommend. You Mm -hmm. never know. We had only a five foot, no, like a three foot booth with the Canadian government, Mm. so small. And Kroger ended up coming by and gave us an innovation card. Right. And uh, who would have ever thought in a show that has like half a million people at it? Yeah. uh, but then we launched with Kroger during the pandemic. And so we had this whole demo plan mm-hmm. um, prepared and how's anyone in America going to know what colleague crumble is. So we had to demo and then everything shuts down. So over the past six months, we've started looking at online sampling programs. So one that we've used um, that we're just going through right now, that's a really cool concept it's called social nature. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm very familiar. Yep. Yep. I uh, had the team on the podcast a while back. Good. Yeah. Jessica. Yep. That was really, it's been cool because they gave you all this consumer insight um, that it gets people into the store um, to taste the product and buy it, which also helps with your sales. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That it's scanning. Um, So that's helped. And um, what else have we done? We're starting to do like the on pack. Um, IRC coupons, try me two dollars off and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yep, um, that sort of thing. But yeah, we definitely pivoted to doing as much online social sampling as possible. Yeah, no, that would have been awesome. Um, speaking of being allergen free, I had uh, Kathleen James from Wise Bites on a while ago. Nice, yeah, her. isn't she awesome? Yeah, 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 she's got an amazing story, and like we went right back into her childhood, and that was awesome to hear all about and sort of how wise how Wise Bites actually came about. But she is such an accomplished entrepreneur. Even before she started Wise Bites, it was really cool. Yes. But one thing she identified was the importance of being allergen free as well. And then we eventually got into the conversation about certifying your facility and uh, everything that sort of needs to be squared away to ensure that you can get those certificates, but also the value that all of those certifications and uh, bring to your business as value propositions for your consumers. So tell us a little bit about getting your facility because you've got your new facility on Anasis Island. And I can imagine that would have been a very strategic and well thought out um, location or production facility that you built out with being allergen free in mind and HACCP certified and so on. But walk us through the process because it's not cheap, it's expensive, but it's money well spent. Well, to give you some back story again with COVID, we actually um, did a substantial raise with the Canadian government and BDC. Right. We were looking at purchasing our own building. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then COVID hit and the banks were really hesitant around um, buying a building opposed to leasing. Yep. They, they don't care that they're, they're, you know, they're like, cool. So you own this asset, but that doesn't really help us. That's not part of the business. Yep. Whereas us as a family run business, we wanted to invest in the real estate. So that didn't pan out the way we wanted to. Uh, it was actually easier to get funding to lease a building. So we started to look what was around. Vancouver is probably one of the toughest areas, probably in North America, to find uh, production space. It's actually really sad because there is so much innovation and yeah. amazing companies in Vancouver that have to leave. Um, so anyway, we found um, a opportunity on Anasis Island. It mm-hmm. was actually an old um, bakery. All right. But it wasn't, um, definitely wasn't up to HACCP and SQF um, standards. Yep. So it took us, we signed on with this lease here, um, moved 70,000 square feet. And so our other production facility that we owned in South Vancouver yep. was 3,500 square feet. And then we leased the bay over and we'd forklift everything back and forth every day. And that was 3,500 square feet. So we had 7,000 square feet into now 70,000 square feet. You wouldn't have so known yourself. Yeah. <laughs> huge. huge yeah. Job. But we did well at negotiating um, uh, to, to have subsidized rent while we renovated because yep. the building was in poor condition. So that was good. And um, so we renovated, we put over a million dollars into this facility just to get it up to code and mm-hmm. make it all shiny and nice for when. Yep. He's like Costco walk through. Yeah. Um, so that was, it's, it's a hard to say, you have to change your mindset when you go into leasing and putting your hard earned money into someone else's building mm. because commercial real estate, they don't care if you put in new shiny floors or anything like that. It's, it's a whole different ball game than renting a house or anything right. like that. Like they don't care what you put in. So that's hard to like, um, you know, get your head wrapped around for sure. But, mm-hmm. um, so we decided to renovate and then we got our HACCP certification, which was amazing. And now we're working towards completing the SQF certification in mm-hmm. June. Right, 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 right. And it's just, you, you want the gold standard for Loblaws and Costco and Sam's club to walk through your facility and, you know, feel proud of it. It's really important. Yeah. I don't doubt it. So you would have had to invest a lot of time and energy just going through all of that yourself. Like how did you find the process of, you know, uh, working through to getting HACCP certified and so on? Well, at first when we were trying to do HACCP in our old factory, Mm. I actually took a course and was trying to figure it out myself, but (laughs) we were lucky enough with the money we, that we've raised, we hired, um, an excellent QA manager and an excellent plant manager. Mm -hmm. And they have loads of experience in HACCP as well as we implemented a software called Icicle. Right. And they're a Vancouver company as well. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, a lot of food manufacturers are using Icicle software now and they've been great. So that's for inventory management. Yeah. And also you can do a recall basically in like 30 seconds. Okay. Amazing. So yeah, full transparency and tracking. Yeah. yeah. CFA can actually log into our Icicle account and not even do an audit in our facility. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's great. So all those tools really help speed up the HACCP certification for sure. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's all about having the right team in place. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. How have you found sourcing and securing raw product? You know, especially at the moment with supply chains being disrupted and lead time stretching right out right across the world, it's an issue for everybody. Have you managed to sort of work around that and ensure that you're never running out of raw ingredients to produce your product so that you can get your products onto the shelf? Oh man, do you want to hear unload all my problems on you? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> these are common problems, right? And if it's causing you a headache and you're learning something, it's, there's definitely some nuggets of gold in there for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you, everyone is struggling right now yeah. um, in food manufacturing. It's really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, the with along with the drought, mm-hmm. the drought that happened on our agriculture industry has been really tough, as well as now the COVID supply chain issues. Yeah. Um, give you an example: we've sourced yellow split peas for years, and they've actually gone up double. This has never happened to us in history. Mm-hmm always been stable um so right before the holidays we started doing the exercise around a price increase and then we started to hear that actually everyone's doing price increases yeah. and, um, all the big retailers are actually hiring divisions now just to manage price increases and mm-hmm. sales brokers are just doing price increases all day long yeah so it made us feel a lot more comfortable going in with the price increase um but securing supply you know, you can, you can sign on for a year contract, yeah. and not, but there's always the clause in there that if they have the right to increase the price, if there's like these natural disasters and all yep. this going on, um, it's been challenging to say the least. Our goods have gone up um, 25%. Packaging is yeah. crazy. It went from, and you know what? Packaging is also um, a huge one to have a good partner mm-hmm. when you're scaling Mm -hmm. because you're always going through ingredient changes. You're changing little things on your packaging here and there. So startup, you really need a good partner that like will work through and, and, um, not make you order such a huge volume. Yeah. Keep MOQs low. Yeah, for sure. So, um, that's been challenging because now packaging suppliers Mm -hmm. are eight week lead times. If you want to switch to a new packaging supplier, some of it's 16 weeks to get started. Like that's unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. No, there are shortages in paper and card uh, stock supplies, just like there is in flexible packaging in our world as well. There are shortages all over the place and very hard to secure a raw. Yeah. So that's really challenging, especially when you're doing mock-ups and presentations mm-hmm. for like Costco or like a new innovative idea. Yep. You can't just like get it like you used to yep. really fast turnarounds. Yeah. Um, but as far as, and then it's ironic actually, right? before all this supply chain started to come out, all the problems we were looking, our next hire was going to be a supply chain manager. Right. And then we kind of put a hold on it because what are they going to do all day? They're not going to be saving you money. They're just going to be tracking down trucks that are, will pick up your load. Yeah. Because that's a big problem even right now. They yes. want to take your, take your goods if it's only a pallet. Yeah. Um, just fighting fires instead of helping save yeah. money and sourcing out new suppliers. So yeah. we've been, we manage the risk by doing our price increase. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're doing the exercise of at least having three suppliers at all times that yeah. have access to get all of our QA documents in line that there's always someone to pull through. Mm-hmm. And now also 
making sure to order in with longer lead times, not mm-hmm. just doing first in, um, just in time ordering. Yeah. We're now our rule of thumb is at least six to eight weeks for replenishments and always have one to three months of supply on hand at all time. Yeah. 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 And so you've obviously got uh, the luxury of having storage and so on, you know, which is amazing being in the large facility that you had, but if you were still stuck in your old location, I can imagine that would have been real challenging. Oh yeah. Even um, before we moved, we used a third party warehouse. Right. It's so expensive. Yeah, like it is. Touch your product. It's yeah. like a dollar. Yeah. So um, yeah. And, and we, we were really good. I don't think you can do it as much anymore with how things are changing. Like mm-hmm. the supplier used to really work for you. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like it's the other way around. Like we would be able to have our vegetable supplier, packaging supplier, they'd all hold inventory for us. Yeah. And just, um, they always have like a month supply and then they would just send it as they need. Yeah. Now space is such a constraint in Vancouver that yep. a lot of people aren't doing these stock agreements. I don't know if, if, if you guys still are. Warehousing agreements are hard to come by at the moment. Yeah. You have to see significant volume to warrant it at the moment because yeah, warehouses are full. Warehouses yeah. are full and hard to come by just like you mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's difficult. I know. One other thing that I wanted to talk to you about right now is your brand. So, I mean, I went back and I had a look at some of your, um, you know, previous iterations of the brand and it has evolved over the years. And I really love where it is currently at the moment. And for anybody listening right now, just scroll down into the show notes and I've got a link through to the Big Mountain Foods website. So you'll actually be able to go in and actually have a look at some of the packaging and it's beautiful. It's really bold and it highlights, you know, everything that is in the package on the package but it's very legible and easy to read and that's what i love about it most like you can't miss it on the shelf how did you land in this place and who were you working with to sort of arrive at a space where you thought you were you knew exactly who your target audience were and what would differentiate you out on the retail shelf as well you know what thank you for saying that our packaging um, stands out on the shelf because that's exactly what we were trying to achieve you nailed it for sure our, our old packaging just wasn't working for sure. Um, so we, it took a long time, took definitely a few agencies that yep. we had to stop the project and move on. It just wasn't working out. Yep. Um, and then we finally landed with an agency here locally, um, called one, two, three West. Okay. Yeah. And we, we went, um, through a lot of ideations and then, you know, they pitch concepts to us and it's very hard when you're, when you, you're not as creative yourself or through their lens or the customer's lens. Mm -hmm. It it's hard. I definitely. Yeah, for sure. Like that landing on a concept and then running with it. And it costs a boatload of money to go through those exercises. Yeah. 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 It does. So did you have an idea of the concept that you would like to move towards? And then you got, um, you know, you got some concepts to work with and did you speak to your customers and see what they like? Did you do sort of any, um, AB testing in that respect? Well, we, we kind of went in with a clean slate to, Mm -hmm. to the agency that we worked with, um, seeing what they would come up with. So they would do the research on colors that would stand out and, um, how to get the message across to the consumer. Yeah. We didn't do too much um, like surveying or anything like that. We just went, we just trusted their judgment and mm. history in the industry mm-hmm. in packaged goods. Um, but yeah, it was the whole 
journey was very tough. Yeah. I tell yeah, That's yeah. I always struggle with if we should hire a creative person in house and they yeah. might pay for themselves just to have that creative brain all the time. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to agencies. Um, it's always been a challenge for us. Yeah. Marketing yeah, yeah. in general. Really? So do you have a marketing team in house at the moment too? Just on, well, actually it's been about six to eight months. We have a team of two right now. Mm-hmm. We never had marketing before, never focused on marketing. It was all putting the money in manufacturing and sales. Yeah. Yeah. So now as of this year, we're really focusing on marketing. Um, and we have, we've interviewed five PR agencies and, um, so we have two people in house and they're kind of leading, getting everything off the ground, simple things, you know, that we never had before, like email marketing, yep. and social media and recipes and signing up for things like social nature. Yep. So we're, we're starting to gain momentum for sure, mm-hmm. Yeah. but it's ongoing. Yeah, it is. So what's your vision? Like, what is your marketing vision out there? Obviously to tell as many people as you can about the product and what you can do with your products, but you know, having you know, uh, your product available down in the States as well. You'd sort of have to have two sort of targeted campaign. Is that your approach? Yes. The American customer is a lot different than the Canadian one. Mm. I was actually reading um, an article about that most Americans, they, they're just looking for what the calorie content is opposed to reading the ingredient label. Right. Okay. Um, so they might not care as much about clean label. Mm-hmm. They just want it, you know, low fat, low calories. Whereas the Canadian consumers might be reading the labels more mm. and the retailers might be more strict. Um, so it's definitely a different ball game. Even when we're developing flavors, yep. we're about to launch um, the, our soy-free tofu. Mm-hmm. Really, 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 really exciting and huge investment. I bet. Um, You'll see, we're going to post a whole journey on how the whole um, scale up of the tofu on our social media, hopefully soon, because this plant, we're, we've called our, our new 2022 mantras, um, feed the beast, because we brought on a full sales team in the US right. and then we hired on, we actually finally got into a national sales broker in the US, which is huge. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. Here. And then we have this big equipment that's coming in that we keep calling a beast. So it's like, (laughs) Um, but I don't know where I was going with that now, but um, yeah, this, this tofu, even names. Yeah. 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 For sure. Something crazy different. Like we've been bouncing around ideas for a fab, tofu, like fab food. Yeah. Fabu or like fabulous tofu kind of thing or or just fava tofu. Yeah. Oh, so it's come from fava bean. Yes. And oh, you know what? Another supply chain um story. Okay. When the drought hit, yeah. Um, our chickpeas, we've been working on soy-free tofu, five-year project. Oh wow. The, um, the protein industries, Canada. Mm-hmm. Huge investment for Canada. Um, definitely we're trying to be the leaders in soy-free tofu. Yeah. Traditional methods, so yep. it's going to taste different or feel different than tofu. The consumer is going to still feel like they're eating tofu, which is um, was very big to us. Yeah. So, um, with the with the we originally were launching chickpea tofu, mm-hmm. and the chickpea drought supply went up or uh, the cost went up three times, and we still have to compete with soy tofu, that's which sold- is so cheap. 
Yeah. So cheap. It's yeah. ridiculously cheap. Yeah. 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 We're like, how are we going to market this? How are you going to sell for four times the cost? In yeah. the end, tofu's tofu. It's not super fun. Like, you know, like a Beyond Meat burger. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, this commodity type product. So we ended up um, exploring different beans. Mm-hmm. And faba is actually a more stable bean mm-hmm. to grow. It, it's easier with different climates. And um, there isn't as much of a demand yet. Although now they're saying, I just read a whole thing about um, fava being the next protein craze. There you go. So maybe we're on to something. I think there's going to be a little bit of a challenge around educating the consumer on what yep. fava is compared yep. to watching the chickpea. Yeah. It's really sad. But um, at the end, you have to also protect your business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've got to make sure that it all adds up. Um, so that will be interesting. So, what kind of time frame are we looking at at the moment until this product's on the shelf? Well, it's really exciting. Our with all the port challenges, yeah. we are, our five containers just got released last week. Yeah. So we have um, six engineers flying in from Asia, February fourteenth, yeah. and it should be starting to sell soy-free tofu March first. I will try that. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, with all of the concern around soy and, you know, monoculture and so on, or mono agriculture at the moment, this is, sounds like it's such a good decision for you to be moving into this space. And I can understand there may not be price parity between regular tofu and your tofu, but it's a completely different product. Yes. So that goes back to marketing is yeah. how, how do we get that point across in yeah. a loud way? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. The one thing that I did want to mention right now is your most recent product that you've got out onto the retail shelf is your Lion Main Mushroom Crumble. And I tried it at the Planted Expo. That's when I met you. It's a delicious product as well. And uh, I can't find it on the retail shelf because it's always sold out. <laughs> so that's saying something. Yeah. This mushroom craze. And that's Huge, isn't it? Yeah. Because we we not accidentally launched the lion's mane crumble, but it wasn't on our radar for this year. We were really focusing on the tofu. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then now we have both products launching. So we've been pitching both products at the same time, even though lion's mane just is on the shelf now, tofu's not. And all the retailers are gravitating towards lion's mane mushroom crumble. And we're like, but wait, we didn't really have any equipment um investment on this it's just you know a different version of collie crumble yeah we've invested 10 million dollars into tofu equipment and now everyone's caring about the mushroom mushrooms <laughs> oh my gosh yeah you don't know how the market's gonna respond yeah that's uh, so funny but and- it's a great product it's super exciting it is yeah hey one question about how you're going to be packaging up the tofu are you going to be putting it through your thermoformer yes okay that'll be interesting because like um tofu is typically quite a wet uh, product as well. So are you going to be getting and controlling the moisture content before you put it in the thermoformer as well? Yeah. So we, that's another thing with marketing. We really went back and forth around package it. Like, do you go with the tray with the water? Just like tofu, but then tofu doesn't really need the water. Yeah. Like Um, a brine. Yeah. You do a sleeve Mm -hmm. with the thermoformer. Do you do a box? Yeah. Uh, with a window or just yeah. a box uh, or a label. Yeah. We always battle with the, the packaging side of things um, has always been a struggle for us. Like yeah. we have the one thermoformer here and we find that we're not able to like innovate fast enough because we don't have a tray sealer or a pouch 
yep. um, a vacuum machine. chamber machine. Yeah, I got you. All those things can really help um, get more products on the shelf. I feel like yeah. they're a little restricted when you just have a thermoformer for sure. Yeah. But um, we ended up going with uh, a vacuum pack and then a carton with a window. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So you can see just, the product. Yeah, just so it can stand up on the shelf. Yeah. If they do merchandise it next to our current products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll see where it'll be interesting to see where retailers put it. If they put it with soy, like on the bunkers. Yeah. Grocery store, if, or if they actually do put it right next to our products in the. Yeah. So it'll actually be packaged up very similar to your um, your veggie links, your sausages. It'll be it'll be like our um, mushroom crumble and collie crumble, the box. Oh, right, right, right. Got you. But with a window in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very good. Well, I'm excited to see it on the shelf in the future. Bring it on. Yep. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for your time, Jasmine. I know we're under a bit of a time constraint today and I've got to honor that for you. So listen, um, today's uh, podcast episode has been extremely insightful. So thank you very much for yeah giving us everything you know. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. 